everyone, and welcome to the Macaw Podcast Universe. And I'm one of two hosts, and my name is Micah Macaw. My name is Jordan Macaw. And you are the other host. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was listening back to our episode on Unbreakable, because I was editing it, and I said, I'm your host, and I think I was expecting you to say, and I'm your other host. And so it made it sound like I'm the host, and you're not a host i'm also the host but your host you hold equal shares in this endeavor as is that not so say it ain't so i wouldn't say we do the equal amount of work well why because you do way more work than me that is true actually i'll accept that you Um, deserve more credit but as far as talking goes we share the load okay (laughs) as far as the performative aspect of this podcast it is equal awesome but today we are talking about M. Night Shyamalan's Split. So, last week we talked about Unbreakable. And here's the thing. I, I had kind of hoped that we would get into not really spoilers in case people wanted to listen along. And I'm just going to throw that out for this episode because there's too many glass spoilers that we have to talk Don't, about. But seriously, it's... I, if, I wish you, that I, I hope that no one's even listening to this if they haven't seen any of these movies. You know, like well, that's I, the beauty. But yes, I would say if you haven't listened, if you haven't watched Glass and you're listening along, or you haven't watched Split, just stop the podcast. We're gonna be here. That we have these set to never expire anywhere, and then come back listen to the episode. Yes. So all the spoilers are out the window. Okay, but uh, I did kind of cut you off. Did you have anything else no. to contribute? Okay, so. Last we talked, he makes Unbreakable. After Unbreakable, um, let me pull up his filmography, because part of the whole thing about this series is talking about our boy, M. Night, right? Mm-hmm. He does Unbreakable, then he does a little movie called Signs. Okay. Now, if I recall, Signs is a pretty big hit. You just um, said, I thought you said in the last episode it wasn't. I think critically, not as much. Okay. Like critically... Well, no one cares about that. You have a... Well, I I'm do. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, we're, we're criticized. <laughs> this podcast criticizes movies. I know. <laughs> I just don't... That's a little side note. I just... I hate when people are like, yeah, well, the critics always... You know, like labeling them this group. And it's like, I like critics. I don't like all of them. And yeah. I think they're wrong sometimes, but as a... It's a job. Their, their job is based on opinions. Yeah. Um. So... You know, that has a 59 meta score. Okay. So it's like right on the edge of like. That is way, it's way above average. Yeah. That is way too low. Yes. Yes. Um, then he does the village and that's when people start kind of waning on him, I would say. Village. Village is a great movie. And then he does Lady in the Water, which is a movie that is actually pretty delightful. Uh huh. A lot of problems. Uh huh. Not the most well written movie, but but it's wholly original. It's a he wholly original to write fairy tale. A fairy tale for his kids, and he did it. And I, I and I love that. It's 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 worth a watch. Maybe, Absolutely. Maybe maybe you watch it and you go, that's not good. If you but it's finally want to see Paul Giamatti in a lead leading role, <laughs> yeah, watch Lady in the Water. <laughs> maybe that's why it didn't work. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> um. So people are like, eh. And then he does Lady in the Water. I mean, uh, <laughs> the he, he does The Happening, yes, which does well, but people Famously are like... Famously very bad movie. Yeah, and that, that movie, is a bad movie. That movie came out in the height of me wanting all gore, so it worked for me at the time. Yeah, it's pretty bad. 
It's but, rough. Yeah, I would never want to watch that movie again. I just remember the, specifically the part when the guy sets the lawnmower to go over him. Yeah. And then the girl stabbing herself with her like hair chopsticks. Yeah. Ugh. And I think it was marketed as, if I'm remembering right, it, I think it was marketed as like the, the master of horror is finally doing an R movie because all mm. his other movies are PG-13. And it's, it's kind of like barely R- and it's not really the no, it's greatest. It's gory. That's it. That's yeah, the only thing. If you watch it again, it's not what? actually that gory. What was it? I know it was like the plants were doing it or something. Yeah, but it like, was the earth. You couldn't. What could you not do? It's kind of like um, Bird Box. Like you can't open your eyes. I never saw eyes. that movie. Well, you can't open your eyes. Yeah. So what? Do you remember what it was like? Did people just breathe something? Like how come Mark Wahlberg made it through okay? It, yeah, it was like the wind was carrying like a, a virus. So is he just running ahead of the wind? Yeah, they're like outrunning it basically, <laughs> okay. and then at the end, him and Zoe Deschanel. Yeah, they they like meet in um, they just like walk into a field, and they just accept it, and they're totally fine. And it's like they defeated it by hugging. Yeah, love wins. Yeah, but it's just like what? Yeah, and then um, and then it ends with I think it shows a scene. It's like in another country, and it's starting in another country. Yeah, it's not over. Yeah, um, so then he does the last Airbender. Yes. Which famously is horrible. Have not seen it. Yeah. Then he does After Earth. Which has quite the interesting story. Oh, well, it stars Will Smith and Jaden Smith. And it's a sci-fi movie. Yeah. It was a big effing flop. And apparently Will Smith basically directed the movie. He was in charge Pretty of much. the movie. And it was his idea. It was his idea. It was his baby. And it's kind of like, oh, let's just get a big director so people will actually see it. Not like, not not that Will Smith is not a draw. He absolutely is. So it's yeah. what's weird to me. It's all. I wonder if it's just just two really big dudes butting heads and yeah. Shyamalan finally just conceding and being like, you know what? I'm making a lot of money for this for this job. I'm just gonna do whatever he says because I can't handle it anymore. I wonder if it's a lot of that because it's a terrible movie, and then you find out that Shyamalan really didn't do anything. I mean, he directed yeah. it, but like it was really just sounded like following whatever Will Smith wanted. That's what it seems like, which is a big bummer. Now there's and there's a couple of things here that are interesting. So, of course, we can we can argue all day long about the village and Lady in the Water, but those are still. Let's just skip those and talk about the happening because that is like unequivocally the beginning not of the a good end. Movie. But he writes that he's got control. He does it. Okay, let's count that as a full-on failure. Sure. But then when he goes to Last Airbender, he's adapting someone else's material. He's not writing it. Yes. So and that's I think a big that's deal. a big problem. Yeah. For like his creative voice. And he's in a big studio like setting now. Yeah. This is not him filming in I mean, I don't know where he filmed it, but this isn't like we're in Philadelphia and we're filming things. Like we normally do. Yeah. This is he's in the studio, like big budget production kind of thing. Yeah, and then if After Earth is true, it's yeah. kind of like same Not really his big story. production thing, and he's adapting someone else's vision. Yeah, I'm assuming probably like a lot of green screen stuff, which it, it doesn't seem like that's his forte. Yeah. Um. So then, that's in 2013. So 2015, he directs an episode of Wayward Pines. Uh -huh. um what's with, that i don't really know just a show yeah uh and like it kind of gives him the confidence to kind of go back to his roots and go let me just self-finance 
a yes, small big, movie. Big uh, point. Or yes. So emphasize. what he goes on to do is he takes out a $5 million loan against his estate mm-hmm. to self-fund a little found footage horror movie. Now, M. Night, found footage, horror, that's a smart like pairing of mm-hmm. ideas. And so he makes The Visit. Mm-hmm. We talked about it last week. We don't particularly like the movie, but it is, in a lot of ways, a return to form for a director yeah. who's been out for a couple of years. Yeah. And but it's his idea. also, woof. Yeah. Bad movie, but... I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Well, and he's trying something, you know, he gets to try something. And I think it's, I think it's, it's like, it is a bad movie, but it does feel like if you were with friends and you bought tickets to the movie and you have some popcorn and you're just hanging out for the night at the theaters and you see it, I think you're going to have a fun time. Yeah. I think I just like a, a younger me. And when I say younger, I don't even mean like, like stupid young people. Really, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just, I think that I'm not super into that kind of what that movie was anymore. Because the twist is pretty crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. big surprise. And it just didn't really, it was just like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, of course, I guess. Like, that is the craziest explanation. It just, it seems like that more than most of his movies is much more popcorn-y. I than, agree. Than, uh... I, I know his movies are like entertaining movies, but yeah. there's usually a lot more like subtext yes. and stuff in them. So he does that. And when he when he's doing that, every studio passes on the visit. He shows a cut to the movie. This is before it comes out. And every studio is like, no. Then he goes back home and he's like, I just can't figure this out. I'm sure he's very depressed. Yeah. And then he goes, I'm going to recut the movie. He recuts it. And then he meets with someone we talked about last October. A guy named Jason Blum, mm-hmm. who's kind of like the producer of producers right now in a yeah. lot of ways, keeping horror alive and in a lot of ways, independent movies alive. When we watched Split last night and the Blumhouse, Blumhouse title card came up, I said we owe a great d- debt. We do. <laughs> to this company. Uh, for a reminder for the listeners, Jason Blum takes ideas and takes scripts and he goes... And his company, you know, by now it's a pretty oh, big yeah, company. yeah, yeah, yeah. But instead of going, okay, you know, we're making Captain Marvel and this has to make $1 billion for it to be a success, he goes, let's fund, you know, 15 horror movies this year, give them a $5, $10 million budget, and if one of those is a hit and makes $200 million, we've made all our money back. Yeah. So that is his yeah, idea, and we, we were talking about... How um, and other people have said this as well. Like we, w- I wish there was a comedy Jason Blum out yes. there who would start investing in comedies and just making comedies again. Yeah, because comedies are dead. Yeah. Although maybe when we finally watch Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, and by now we'll They're have back. seen it. Yeah. Maybe that'll be the start of something new. So Jason Blum sees it and he's like, "Let's do this. I'm gonna release. Why the cuss not? The visit. Yeah. And then." M. Night says, okay, now I'm ready to make Split. And it, this, I'm going to put up my own $9 million to make this movie. I feel like with the visit, he just needed, he was a little rusty. Yeah, he, it was like I got to dust off some stuff. Yeah, and, th- and then we have Split. To which, let's just talk about it. So when Split, when the uh, trailers were coming out for it. Oh, yes. You know, I it was like, oh, cool, a thriller 
what is going on here? James McAvoy looks like he's got split personality. Obviously, they're really pushing that. Yeah. Crazy. Kevin has 23 distinct personalities. The 24th is about to appear or something like yeah. that. Great tagline. Yeah. And um, I think at that point for me, I was like, that. that's when I was like, oh, yeah, Shyamalan, that guy's not good anymore. So this is not going to be good. Same and, with me. I remember yeah. watching the trailers and being like, looks dumb. Yeah, and I think I, I stupidly, I was like, oh, I, I'm, I've, my tastes have gotten more refined than just me your too. average me popcorn too. thriller. Uh huh. So, neither of us saw it in theaters, which is a huge mistake. But also, I'm like, how did I? Why did I miss this movie? I am. This is a reason why I'm so glad I don't have Twitter. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because I don't, I don't know if this is happening on Twitter. I don't know. But I had no idea what the twist was. Yeah. I had no idea until I saw the movie. Wow. And I saw the movie on like when it came out to rent. I think I remember us watching this together at my at, well, at your parents' house. We weren't even married yet. Like in January uh-huh. of like 2018, so a full year after it had been out. Uh-huh. That's what I remember. And us being like, okay, that ruled. Well, yeah, I think we were like Someone, I think someone we knew saw, or even a member of my family saw it. Like my dad might have even seen it. Yeah. No, my dad spoils things, so I don't think it was him. I, but some, I, you know maybe what I it think was Veronica. It, I think we were just talking about M Night a lot, and I think we just rewatched some stuff. And all of us, and we were like, like my family were like, it. let's just try try out this thriller Shyamalan movie. It'll at least probably inter- be entertaining, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we watched it and all pooped our pants. What's so cool about the movie too is. And I was feeling this way when I watched it. Um, I did know about the connection to Unbreakable. But you didn't know how? I did, but I couldn't really remember it when we started the movie. And how did you know? I knew because, and I still to some degree do this, I would check IMDb News every single day. Yeah. And I was also in a place where I was like, oh yeah, M. Night sucks. I want to hear how bad this movie is. So I was reading articles and everyone's talking about this twist. And I'm like, that sounds really stupid. Wait, had you seen Unbreakable at this point? Yeah. yeah. You still thought it was stupid? Well, I... No, I, I know. You had, I was being stupid. I know, I don't, know. I don't know, blame I know. me. I'm already admitting. Because um, this is one of the coolest twists of all cinema history. Uh-huh. Easy. Um, but having said all that, this is the third time I've watched the movie. Uh, last night. And the twist, this time around hit me harder than the other two times I saw the movie. Yeah. This time. Yeah, we were fist pumping it hard. And it, even though I knew it was going to happen, I was like, that is the sign of a really good twist is when you watch it and you already know it's a twist, it's still impactful. Yeah. And it's very impactful. It's oh, yeah. so cool. So, um, okay. Yes, all of that to say, this movie rules. And thank you for listening to the <laughs> <laughs> So, Shyamalan... Now, he came up with a problem because Universal and Blum, Jason Blum, were uh, releasing this movie, but Disney owned the rights to the characters of Unbreakable. Okay. So he requested permission to incorporate the character, and he met with Sean Bailey about the use of the character, character, and they came to a gentleman's agreement, where Bailey agreed to allow the use of the character in the film without a fee— and Shyamalan promised that Disney would be involved in a sequel if it was developed. Okay. So basically, he's like, if this works, the next movie, you guys are going to be a part of the producing of it. Okay. And we'll talk about that That's next week. That's not such a bad deal. Pretty good. Yeah. 
So here's another cool thing. He makes this movie. Um, he, you know, they have test screenings. Uh huh. And in the test screenings, there was no cafe scene. Awesome. So the awesome. cafe scene that that premiered when this premiered for critics. Awesome. That was the first time anyone yeah. saw the Unbreakable Twist. Okay, so we have that. Um, let's see. McAvoy broke his hand in while filming when he when? punched a metal part of a door, missing the soft spot he was supposed to punch. Oh, ow! <laughs> and then. Um, Here's a couple things uh, that the Hollywood Reporter said about the movie. They consider this to be the first supervillain origin story. That's like, it's just the supervillain. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, they also consider it to be the first time a film has been completely devoted to the origins of a villain as opposed to the origins of a superhero. Yeah. And it's been described as Hollywood's first ever stealth sequel. The Hollywood Reporter calling it... Oh, no, this is just... So all of that is just what people consider this movie. Then the Hollywood Reporter called it, quote, one of the most shocking surprises in cinematic history. <laughs> and then if you like do a Google search, you see the last time that's been said was in The Sixth Sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it's just crazy because he did, you know, he did The Sixth Sense, the most famous twist of all yeah. history. But this is like, <laughs> this is maybe my favorite twist in a movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think this and Psycho are my favorite twists in a movie. That, that this just one, like it's it's so impactful because of what it means. What it means, yeah. Not that it's just like wild, but when it happened, it's like, oh, okay. When's the next one happening? And it, it's kind of a dream sky scenario like if if we're sitting there having a cup of coffee and we're just talking about movies and we go wouldn't it be so cool if someone ever did this but that'll never happen you know that sort yeah. of thing it's kind of like um you remember the movie life with jake gyllenhaal and ryan reynolds yes so yeah. that was that was developed by sony who owns yep. the rights to spider-man and spider-man and villains Venom. and yeah the original idea was it ends and that life form is Venom. Yeah. And no one, they wouldn't advertise it as Venom or anything like that. And then at like, I don't know, sometime in post-production, they said like, no, because they were working on the Venom movie by that point. That's so lame because... It would have been so much cooler. Yeah, I actually, the movie is actually pretty scary. I remember yeah. I saw that one after it had come, like a while after too, because I think it was just, at that time I was getting burnt out on sci-fis mm -hmm. because we had a lot of bad ones. And then... um Man, I just remember the last scene in the movie when he... Is it Jake who makes it back to Earth? I think it's Ryan. Oh, okay, but he's but screaming at people not to open yeah. the thing. And it is so creepy inside how it's already changed him. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That that and was like a sinister feeling, you know? You know, what if it ended and Tom Hardy like pulls up on a boat or something? Yeah. And then it's like... It, maybe the title card says something about venom or something like that and then it's like what yeah That's i think crazy. it's crazy yeah you're probably right yeah um the movie's pretty scary yeah it's yeah it's it's pretty i feel like it it loses its rewatchability almost because it's not uh, a more interesting ending maybe i'm wrong hmm like that's a that's a yeah. pretty good movie, but it's just hard anytime a movie is like Alien in a spacecraft because you always are like, well, this isn't as good as Alien. Well, I'll tell you what I'll <laughs> always rewatch are the press interviews between Ryan Reynolds and Jake Gyllenhaal that's for true. this movie. That's true. I'll re I'll rewatch those any old time. <laughs> right now, do it. Prove okay. it. Okay. So 
then here's here's one thing that I did want to go over. Um, just because you know it's good to like movies and know that maybe there's stuff in it that's not represented well, um, whether it be race, um, feminism, stuff like that. And in this movie, um, there's they're dealing with disassociative identity disorder, which, as you told me yesterday, is kind of I looked it up. Okay, it's it's kind of like. There, there are a lot of different thoughts in the psychological and, and um, mental health community on what's real, what's not, and all that. But there, are, there was kind of controversy that you have some psychiatrists and stuff who are just saying how movies like this and Psycho, and, and, and a lot of times just when mental health is portrayed on screen, um, it's showing people who are violent or mm-hmm. hurting people, mm-hmm. or, or it is played for a twist. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's just a lot of people who deal with, um, they experience mm-hmm. uh, intellectual, developmental disabilities and stuff like that, and they're not really represented well on screen. And when they are, they're always the killer. Yeah. So um, this is another movie in a long list of movies that do that. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to point that out because it should open a conversation in that way. Um, I still really like the movie despite that, but I think yeah. it's good to know that that's no, definitely. something. And I, I do think with that, like, it, I do find, well, sorry, I find it interesting that in the movie, yes, he's the villain. Yes. Yeah. But the psychiatrist who's a big character, she sees his disability as a potential asset. Yeah. Like which a- I, they, yeah, didn't have to do that. They could have just labeled him like she, because she's the authority could have just labeled him crazy mm-hmm. and had him institutionalized, mm-hmm. but she was working so hard so that he wouldn't be just interesting. And I, but what you're saying is like totally it's, true. Totally yeah. happens. It makes me think of good time, um, by the Safdie brothers. Yes. Because one of them, uh, one of the brothers is a, plays a role in the movie as Robert Pattinson's brother. Uh-huh. Um, and he experiences a developmental disability. Yeah. And it, is I feel like really well done and very respectful. I mean, the whole movie is just stressful the whole time and he is put in a bad situation because of his brother. Yeah. But it always makes, I always like think of like the end of that movie when, (sighs) when he's with a a group of people who also experience disabilities and it's like he, he's finally like put in a situation where he can be accepted and fit in. Yeah. Rather than his brother's reaction to his disability <laughs> was to movie. protect him from everyone, which he couldn't do. Yeah. You know, like seeing it as a negative thing and, and keeping him sheltered. Yeah. Watch but, Good Time. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just something worth noting. And, and I do think that this movie, especially when it takes that leap at the end where it's talking about like, you know, it, it does get into, oh, this is a super villain and we're in a comic book. Personally, just on my own personal like opinion, I feel like that kind of negates some of the arguments that are against this movie. But I would never want to silence a voice that's saying, "Hey, this is problematic," just because I don't have mm-hmm. anyone definitely. in my life who deals with this, and, or I don't. So I could definitely be wrong in that, and I'd be happy to accept being wrong on that. Yeah. Um, oh, I think it is worth bringing up. Yeah, and and just just for our listeners too. Um, there was a study that researchers found that only 3% of people um, 
who have DID were charged with an offense. 1.8% were fined and less than 1% were in jail. So there's no reason to be scared of someone. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, music is by Wes Dylan Thordson. Great job. He did Love Foxcatcher. Th- great job. Love the theme for that he did for this movie, especially. I think it really comes into play uh, when Anya Taylor-Joy is pointing the gun at him and he realizes that Ooh, she yeah. is pure. The, the music at that part it's makes me want to really cry. Crazy. It's yeah. so good. Yeah, and he'll go on to do Glass as well. Great, cool. Uh, the cinematographer, cinematographer is Mike Jolickis, and he is a newbie. Cool. So he had done... Uh, he's done like some documentaries and stuff like that but before this he pretty much had done the horror movie it follows yeah and m night saw that movie i still have never seen that i haven't either heard it's really good uh m night saw that movie and he said i gotta have Uh i want to i want to try this out and he's going this is a risk because this guy is not seasoned Uh uh-huh and uh that pays off oh yeah Uh, he he also goes on to do glass and us jordan peele's us cool which is also a great looking movie yes uh, the movie, it's wide release, so it comes out in festivals in 2016, but its wide release is January 20th, 2017. It makes $138 million domestically and 278 worldwide on a $9 million budget. That's a smashing success, if there ever was one, and that's the notes I have on Split. Okay, so in terms of actors, uh, I'm going to start with the psychiatrist, Dr. Karen Fletcher, played by Betty Buckley. Um, she is in The Happening. Oh, she's... Uh, yep, I remember I, her. I, yeah, I... She's like, like the old woman her. in the house. Uh, she's also in Carrie, the OG, Miss wow. Collins. So she must be a teacher. Like the... I wonder if she's the... She's the um, gym teacher, The maybe? gym teacher, I wonder. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember the character's name. But, yeah. Um, she's in Frantic, The Film Crew, Supergirl Preacher, Chicago Med, Getting On, Pretty Little Liars right yeah um yeah a lot a lot of tv very great career yeah i'm pretty sure that's the gym teacher is that the gym teacher oh that's totally her cool yeah much younger in that movie (laughs) well yeah and then jessica sula plays marcia or marcia marcia they're calling her marcia sorry um she is in the lovers skins uh, Love and Marriage, Panic, Big Fork. I feel like she's still at the beginning of her career. I mean, well, her all fir- the girls are. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like her first acting credit is 2017. This movie. Okay, I get wow. it. Oh no, she Skins would be the first probably. And then Haley Lou Richardson plays Claire. Um, she is in Five Feet Apart, Columbus, The Edge of Seventeen, Unpregnant, um, Operation Finale. And, oh. and some TV. And then um, Anya Taylor-Joy. Talking about a big one. Plays Finally. Casey. Um, let's, I, let me see something really quick. So are you wondering about the witch thing? Yeah. Because I looked it all up. Okay. So in 2015, they would have shot the witch. Um, and it came out wide in, I think, February of 2016. And the movie makes in like the $50 million range. So that would have kind of put her on the radar. But then this movie comes out in 16 slash wide 2017. So I think it's safe to say this is her breakout role mm-hmm. with a, you know, making a quarter of a billion dollars. Oh. This is where people see her from. But then you look back and you're like, oh, she's also in this indie hit, The Witch. 
Yeah. That's like her foundation. Yeah. And this is like, oh, we're putting up the rafters on the house and stuff. Well, I think it was nice with The Witch coming out first because, yeah, it is an indie horror movie, but it did have a lot of stuff surrounding it. And I think because like the trailer alone freaked a lot of people out. And I think a lot of people didn't even see the movie mm -hmm. because it looked really, really demonic and crazy. I was one of those people. Same. And then I watched it like last year and I was like, oh, I this is a really good horror movie. I can handle this. Yeah, it's good. And she's great in it. But yeah, um, this, the split is definitely what put her on the map. Yeah. And what has further put her on the map is the Queen's Gambit, which she just won a Golden Globe for. Right, Golden Globe? Yeah, now she's officially an indie darling. Yes. Uh, she's also was recently in Emma, Peaky Blinders. Um, is she in the X-Men? I can't remember. I feel like she was in one of the X-Men movies. No. No? Good for her. She's she's escaped. This is the superhero thing she's doing. Not Marvel. Cool. Not DC. M. Nights. Cool. Um, oh, no. She's in the New Mutants. <laughs> <laughs> A long-delayed movie that finally came out in the pandemic and did okay for a movie that's been shelled for like three or four years. Are we going to watch it? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I guess if we cover X-Men, we'll have to watch it. It just sucks because I remember when it was coming out or whatever, like before they originally moved the date for the first time, it's like, cool, a, a superhero horror movie on, yeah, cool. on like source material that people are familiar with. That sounds interesting. It's got some really big actors, like young yeah. actors in it. But then, yeah, it just kept getting moved and it's like, well, surely I'm not seeing this now. Yeah. I'm pretty and interested though. Like I said... I do I do want to cover X-Men, but there are so many movies, and we're going to have to add another person to our He Who Shall Not Be Named list when we get there. So it's kind of like, ugh, okay, you know. Yeah. And I actually don't, I only like like two of the movies, <laughs> so it's kind of tough for me to want to watch a series where I, I only like probably a max of four or five if I'm lucky. Yeah. Next. <laughs> uh, shut up, shut up, shut up. Uh, Next is... Did you talk about McAvoy? Shut up. James McAvoy, or McAv McAvoy, McAvoy, however you say it's it. It's McAvoy. Is it really, though? It's McAvoy, okay. yeah. Um, Probably. Okay. <laughs> um, he is in Filth, Atonement, uh, His Dark Materials, Sandman. Oh, he plays Lord Morpheus in this what? version. Yes, I do remember that. Is this Is this about the Neil Gaiman? Yes, comic this is book? Audible. They they like I think they recent what was this 2020? They recently did Audible did like a special Sandman thing. Like a cast read the Sandman. And that's in IMDb. They put audiobooks in IMDb now? I guess. It's not a show or a movie. Jordan, you can't steer me wrong well, on this. Well, how do you find that? Oh, it is on TV, but I do know that this is also Audible. Okay, I, I don't know where this premiered though. Get, let me let me add. He it. would be such. I mean, I've never read it, but I just imagine that he's such a good casting for that. Oh, so here's the problem. Wait, uh, this is not out. Oh well, I've heard stuff about it then. So maybe it's because of my job. It's it's twenty. Well, wait a second. Is it out? No, it is out. Not to be confused with the 2021 adaption of Netflix, huh? It is out. It's TV mature. That's that. This is one thing that I wish that they would add to IMDb is they would put what network things are played on. I know. I don't understand I why they don't do that. Because I I'm even looking at the 
thing, and it just says DC. Only from Audible. Jordan was right. Why does it have a TVMA rating, though? Is it because they released a trailer about... It must be. That's the only thing I can think of. This is so boring. Okay, he's also <laughs> in It Chapter 2. He's in X-Men, unfortunately. Uh, he is... Yeah, and then he's also in Watership Down, which came out... I don't know. It's James McAvoy. Oh, Penelope. That's what I wanted to talk about. Uh, that was when I discovered James McAvoy was the movie Penelope starring Christina Ricci. Is that the girl? Let's look it up because that's important to me. Well, something I want to say about McAvoy. I love, love, love McAvoy. There's, there's two actors that I just like love so much, and it's James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender, who are both in X-Men, and I just wish that they had careers that I enjoyed watching their movies more. Because yeah. this is like the James McAvoy performance. I mean, he's always good, but this is like the only thing that I really like of the things I've seen of his, like unequivocally. Well, listen to the cast list for Penelope. And same with Michael Fassbender. There's only like sure. one movie of his that I like. Well, apparently James McAvoy is going to be on Great British Bake Off at some point, so and that, you can add that. That to your we list. can go. Penelope was a movie that uh, my sister and I rented often and watched often. We loved it so much. We were also we also had big, huge, fat crushes on James McAvoy for this movie. This is a crazy cast. You have Christina Ricci, Reese Witherspoon, Richard E. Grant, Catherine O'Hara. Wow. Um, who else was it? Peter Dinklage. That's James McAvoy. I think we've covered everybody, right? Um, main players. They they cut. I, I was watching the deleted scenes today, and they had Sterling K. Brown mm -hmm. as an entire character that was cut from this movie. Um, and he is awesome. And he's in American Crime Story, Black the OJ, Panther. the OJ season. Yeah, and he's he's also um I I think he's Killmonger's dad in the flashback scenes in L. A. and Black Panther. So yes. Yes. Um, he's always a delight and it was mm -hmm. fun watching the deleted scenes with him makes total sense that they cut those scenes though yes hey it's Micah cutting in to tell you that on April 30th I am coming out with a new music release it's new-ish I'm re-releasing Adam, Eve, Abel, and Cain into one release called The First Family the reason I'm doing this is because I recorded new tracks and I got new mixes for Adam, Eve, and Abel, and so I thought I'd put it all together. I'm celebrating it by doing a release show on YouTube on the same day. That's on my YouTube channel, and that is going to premiere at 7 p.m. So April 30th, get on it, head over to whatever service you use, listen to The First Family, send me texts, send me emails, Instagram, whatever, let me know what you think, and then go to my show that's premiering on YouTube at 7 p.m. And then also after that, there is going to be an 8 p.m. Um, after show for patrons only where they can request any of my songs to play, and I will play them. I probably can't pull off Roy G. Biv, though, if you're thinking of that one. So join in the fun. Now back to whatever movie we're covering. So the movie begins, and we see Anya Taylor-Joy... And we're getting a nice, subtle Jaws shot uh -huh. where they are, they're dollying in on her, but they're keeping her in focus while they're also um, with, with a zoom lens. Uh -huh. So it's f causing the, the perspective to change and you're already like, she's out of place in this world uh -huh. right off the bat. 
you know, thrown right back. in there. And, yeah, that's <laughs> seriously how it feels. I mean, when when we did sit down to watch this the first time, I was kind of like, that's how they're kicking Hello? this off? They're doing this in scene one? So she's at what looks like a some kind of birthday party. Yeah. Um, all the She is on one end of the table. All of the girls are on the other end with, I'm assuming, Claire, the birthday girl. Yeah. Um, clearly, all the other girls are friends, and Anya was a pity invite. Mm-hmm. And uh, they when even it was, say that in the next do. shot, basically. Um, very, very nice uh, doling out information in this movie uh-huh. for sure, whether it's a flashback or it is just dialogue. Because you, you have a lot that you have to get out. You <laughs> There's do. a lot to set up this concept. So, yeah, so they're, um, she's trying to get her ride when Claire and Marsha are with Claire's dad, and he's. I love the guy who plays the dad. He's just such he's like he's, he's such great. like a good dad. He yeah. seems like, and um, that's when Claire reveals that you know you can't invite everyone from your art class and not one person like and leave out the one outcast. Pretty uh-huh. much, you have to invite her too. And then she also mentions how she breaks out a lot and talks back to teachers and and stuff. And it's like, hmm, why though? <laughs> um, so dad offers to to drive her home. Uh huh. And they go to the car. They go to the car, and the perspective is just great. Already, it's like, oh, he's. It does r- truly feel like this first scene is M Night's back because it just feels like a thriller. Yes, but it has it has a totally different vibe. Like it feels like there's a specific person behind the camera. This isn't just a run of your mill thriller. No, he is and in you control. Have, like it is a. It is from the perspective of uh, Dennis. Sure, because yeah. it's this personality. Yes. I would assume. And it's coming in, and the dad looks at him as he's coming to the car, and he says, you know, can I help you? And then it goes to... Um, Anya and What's the, her character name? Casey. Casey. It goes to Casey. She's in the front seat, and her friends are in the back, like, on Instagram or whatever. friends, Micah. That's Come on. so clear. But yeah, I love that part where she is just sitting quietly, so annoyed with the girls in the back, because they're just on like some social media thing talking about boys being super giggly and super loud and not including her, not even trying to include her at this point. It's like party's over. She invited her. That's enough. She did her nice thing. They Mm -hmm. don't need to acknowledge her presence. I will say too, a lot of the times for thriller movies, especially in kidnap situations or whatever, I know that people are always going into it with what would I do in this situation? Yeah. The whole time. And a lot of the times you hear people say like, well, I would never do this. I would never do that. The biggest cardinal sin is don't run upstairs Yeah, in a house. Oh, sure. Yeah. But I feel like in this movie, what everyone does makes sense to me. It does to me. And especially, and, and, sorry. Oh, no, it's just because um, that, that logic only takes you so far. Yes. Because like if I hear some something in our house or something, yeah, I don't want to believe that it's an intruder, so I might, my brain is already in, like, self-defense mode in that I'm not, like, running to grab a weapon or something. I'm like, let me just go look at it over. I'm sure it's nothing. So when I see that in movies... And then you get stabbed. (laughs) Yeah, when I see that in movies and characters act that way, I go, that's actually more realistic than if they're like, okay, let me grab my machine gun and walk out to the living room. No, But this movie strikes a really nice balance. Yeah, I I think um, most of the time... When people are saying that, I just always think like, but you're not in the situation. You have the advantage of seeing everything as a fly on the wall and you get to calculate what you would do. You don't know if you would do that. You probably would run upstairs. Yeah. 
I would probably run up the stairs. Anya's reaction was very slowly because, you know, no one's noticing her. Maybe if she can slowly open the car door, well, and she'll get so out. It's so cool because the... So so he gets in the car and the girls are in the backseat. They don't even notice. Oh, it's so good. And then he turns or he turns the car on and this like country song is playing. Uh-huh. And the, the sound editing in this movie, much like Unbreakable, is really top uh-huh. notch and mixing and you know, yeah. the just the sound in general. And the the world sounds go away and it's like this muffled sound of the song but sl- played at a slower rate and I you're didn't like even notice that. Oh yeah, you're just like what is happening? Yeah. And it's, you know, and the girls are like, I think you're in the wrong car, sir. Yeah. Which is also another reaction where you're in broad daylight. You've just Surely had like no a fun one's day. carjacking a car with three girls yeah. inside. You, you assume the best out of people in a lot of mm-hmm. situations. And then, so that sound, and it's kind of growing, that, that low sound of this country song kind of um, circulating through. And then when she opens the, the door, that sound immediately cuts out and yes. it goes, boom. Because the door's open uh-huh. and there's a key in the car. Uh-huh. And then Kevin looks at her. This is after he incapacitated the other girls in the back seat. And puts on his mask and sprays her. And then it just says, split. Mm-hmm. And then it's showing this great montage. And he does something kind of like that. Like, this and Signs are probably my favorite of his title cards that he has in movies. Okay, I don't remember Signs. Signs is just cool because it's very much like Psycho. It doesn't have any footage, but the way the credits are moving and stuff is very like, oh, we're in for a ride. Oh, okay. And the score is just going crazy. Uh-huh. But this, the score is going, and it's it'll say split, and then it'll. Oh, I love the it like cards. multiplies a uh-huh. bunch, uh-huh. and then it shows you know him taking them into a a hallway, and then it shows an M Night Shyamalan film, and then it you know and uh-huh. it's going through all the stuff and you're already like what is this movie this yes. is so cool yes it not only feels it, it feels like oh this is a new thriller but it also feels like it's harkening back to again hitchcock uh-huh. it, it feels very hitchcockian and like this is old school but it's my twist on old school yeah so i love all of that um then right away we're with the girls and they're in this weird basement e area um, that's what you're assuming at first. Yes. I mean, anyone would assume, oh, we're in this guy's creepy basement. Yeah. That you can see has been um, fit, like built in such a way. Like, there's nothing creepier in an abduction movie when you are in the place where you're taken to the place where he wants you to be. Uh-huh. And you, you are recognizing that he has set it up completely himself and he has complete control. Yeah, not good. That's the worst thing to, to realize. Just a very clean room with nothing to really... Wor- and a really or... heavy door that's locked. And then they learn very soon after that, another door after that door that's also locked. Yeah. And and so in this scene, Claire's saying, you know, I used to take martial arts. We, we need to just rush this guy so we can get out of here. That seems like a smart plan. Yeah. To me. And it's also like, like I got to say too, it is important to note, like not, at no point do I think that any of the girls are acting like they're just screaming and panicking. No. They're panicking for sure. But we have we have so much in the thriller and horror genre of girls screaming and being hysterical. And helpless. And helpless. The like damsel in distress. All of them are in complete survival mode. Yeah. And they're, they're all written very well. They're all really smart and the only reason they don't succeed is because he's smarter, if that makes sense. And Rather stronger, than- which is what Casey yeah. says. As, Rather than like in a lot of movies how, you know, characters are dumb and that's why the character can do 
things to these people. Yeah, and I totally, and I think sometimes in movies when someone is shown hysterical, it's like, yeah, I would probably be hysterical too. Yeah. But like the how this, uh, how their room is set up, their situation is set up. They're like given time, yeah, to really assess the situation and trying to figure out a way out of it. And I do kind of see that, you know, M. Night's a father now. Mm -hmm. And you can see that he's writing them as if he's saying, I would hope, you know, I don't know. I know he has kids. I don't know if he has girls. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming he does because Mm -hmm. of this movie. But I I feel like there's him going, I would hope that my daughters would be smart enough to do these things. Yeah. You know, I think I think there is, weirdly enough, I think there's a bit of a father perspective on this movie. Yeah. in, In like the hopes of these people succeeding. Yeah. And these girls getting out of here alive. I mean, yeah, all of them, yes, they're all surviving, but there is only one survivor in the room, which is Casey. Yeah. Because throughout the movie, there are flashbacks to her as a very young child hunting with her dad and her uncle. And throughout the movie, you discover that, like, she is, she has been abused a by her l- uncle. Pretty much her whole life. So you're just jumping well, right. Well, I guess that. I'll just get to it because I know we'll forget the flashbacks throughout the movie. Oh, I have them all written down. Okay, well, you just you learn like they show flashback around this time of the movie, the first one. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, throughout the movie, you find out that she's a survivor because at the beginning of this, you know, they're like, we need to fight him, we need to do something physical and hurt him. The the best thing you can do is hurt someone to get them to focus on the pain. Uh-huh. And Casey says, "I saw him lift you on that bed like you weighed nothing." Yeah. He would hurt us more. And and I think all of that stuff, like her perspective on the situation, I think the first time you watch the movie, and this is intentional, Mm. I think you, at least for me, you kind of feel like she really knows what's going on. Like, how does she know all this stuff? Like, what is she, Sherlock Holmes? I also feel like she's kind of giving up. Because but, well, let her, me let me okay, finish my sorry. so she's she's you know she feels like she's just really smart and gets everything throughout the whole movie. But then when you find out that she's a victim of all this sexual abuse, mm-hmm. you go like, oh, she's been in situations like this. That's why she knows all this stuff. That's why when her friend gets taken out of the room, she grabs her and she says, "Pee on yourself." Uh-huh. Like she knows this stuff firsthand. And yeah. then when you watch it on multiple viewings, you kind of are like, oh, she. This is experience. Yeah. She's not Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And I guess I wouldn't actually say give up. She is just sitting there and she's kind of shooting down any ideas that they have. And I think it's because she does not have enough information yet. Cause she, yeah, she does say shortly after, like, I'll let you guys know when I've basically figured something out. Yeah. And Claire in that scene, she says, why do you pretend like you're not one of us? Yeah. And that pays off later when you find out she isn't one of them. Yeah. They have not had to go through what she's gone through. Thus, they are not pure, as she yeah. is pure, yeah. by the ideology of the Horde. Yes. So, yeah, we have those flashbacks, and so in this movie, now, in in Unbreakable, we talked a lot about colors, so I want to talk about colors. So, um, David Dunn wears green, and green's really important. So, in this movie, the psychiatrist wears a green scarf in almost every single scene, and she's the one who's trying to save them. Is that intentional? Yeah, that's intentional. Then this whole movie's really yellow, and it's not like explicitly said, but after watching Glass, you're like, yeah, yellow his is... His color's yellow. Yeah, that's his like alter That's ego. Kevin's color. Yeah, so that's really cool. I mm-hmm. love all of that. Um, I also saw 
pointed out online, which I didn't catch, when he gets on the train, he has to like step over the color yellow. So it's like he becomes. Oh man, that's so cool. They cooler. really thought of everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I pose as a question is the colors are very intentional. When we first see in her flashbacks, actually throughout her flashbacks. You know what? I got to look up a still because I just never saw it. Okay. But um, they do get muted after uh, the assault a little bit. But they are green. So the uncle is wearing green, which is the hero's color. And the dad is wearing yellow, which is the villain's color. And I was wondering if we could try and solve that riddle because I also oh, think... Oh, he is wearing green. You're right. Yeah, I think that that has to be intentional. And this is what I think it is. Okay. Um, at this... So in those the, the earliest flashbacks that we get in the movie, she is laughing at her uncle. She thinks he's funny. Mm -hmm. um, I think that he is shown as someone that she just looks up to and admires and likes. Um, her dad, I'm not really sure for a while until... Um, he does die. And I think like as uh, for her, she might blame her dad for dying, whether uh -huh. it's conscious or unconscious because what he left her with, which was her uncle who has abused her her whole life. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. Well, and, but my, my, so I, yeah, I just can't figure out the green of the uncle. I know you just said what you said, but also in the scene where he is in his underwear and he's like, let's pretend like we're animals, he says, "We've." he implies that this is not the first time that they have done this. I know, yeah. So it makes me wonder, it just, I can't figure I out, and I tried to Google if there were some ideas and I didn't see anything. Yeah. My My thought would be that maybe as the omniscient viewer of the movie, we are seeing someone who is supposed to be a heroic mm -hmm. figure and then betrays that color mm -hmm. to us, the viewer along with her. Yeah. That would be my only thought. Um, you know, I don't even know if I would necessarily say yellow because it is Kevin's color means bad. I mean, it's like simple because he is the bad guy of the movie, uh -huh. but she's an empath. Then that's established much more in glass. Uh -huh. So she understands him. So maybe like her dad wearing yellow doesn't necessarily mean like it's a bad thing. And maybe that is part of her connection to yeah. Kevin. Because that's explored more in the next movie, how she has like... Like her dad is... Like she has trauma from losing her dad. Oh, cool, Jordan. Maybe. I don't know. I'm that going with that. Reach. I'm No, I don't think that's a reach. I'm still... I wish there was something satisfying with the uncle... Because I do feel like green is the color of the hero mm -hmm. and good. Um, but maybe it's just the color of perceived good. And that, yeah. that good has to earn itself. And he does not earn his good. Yeah. Um, he's. I mean, yeah. he is manipulating her. Yeah, that's true. Interesting. I, the, the, all of the... I mean, I, I, yeah, all of that stuff with her uncle, it, it's like... When I watch the movie, I'm always like, oh, yeah, this is like intense. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Cause this is much like almost all of his movies. You go, oh yeah, this is PG thirteen. Yeah, and it just seems this movie, especially the final act of this movie, seems really kind of gruesome, but it isn't. He, he's just he's so just good at uses that. Uses the power of suggestion and like all of his movies. It's crazy. Yeah, well, it's, most of his movies, but yeah. I mean, all my life growing up, I thought that Sixth Sense and Signs were rated R. Yeah. 
And I think I thought Unbreakable was too. And I watched the movies and I think I still thought they were rated R. And then I looked them up today and they're PG-13. What? Yeah, well, I think as a kid too with Sixth Sense, I thought that, you know, because he sees dead people like, oh, they're ghouls and gross and creepy. And not a lot of them aren't besides one that I bring up a lot and you never remember. Yeah, I'm sorry. Which is one of the scariest parts of that movie. (laughs) Anyway. So now um, Barry, one of Kevin's personalities, goes to the psychiatrist. And this is when we learn a little bit more about how it's hard to talk about like specific scenes because there's so many elements of the movie, you know, but basically, you know, Kevin has all these different distinct personalities Mm -hmm. and some of them are reaching out, trying to grab the light as they call it Mm -hmm. to, to let someone in the world know that there are girls being held hostage in his basement. Yeah. Um, but then there's the two, um, Dennis and Patricia, that share the light and are very much, um, like, th- they have this ideology about how they need to eat the impure and the beast will come, this beast, this horde, who we find out is his superhero or supervillain. <laughs> cool. So he goes to the psychiatrist and we talk for a while, um, well, she's trying to figure out why he wanted to meet with her, but you can tell that she's really paying attention to every move that he's making because he's kind of straightening things up in her apartment. Um, but she doesn't say anything then about anything. No. She just wants to know, like, why is he here? And he just keeps saying, like, oh, I was just, I just had an episode. Like, I'm, I'm fine now. I don't even know why I emailed you, you know? So that ends up pretty, well, I do like where he, he is asking her, you know, like, how old are you? Like, how much longer are you going to be around? Yeah. And she just established early on that she's really fighting for him. She really wants the world to understand people with DID are special. And she doesn't want him to be institutionalized. You know, she this has really become her life's work. Yeah. And she... It's so crazy watching the movie now because... um. When you when you don't know that this movie connects to Unbreakable, um, I think he is again doing the Stephen Kingy thing where he's taking some reality and then warping it enough that he can make this kind of fantastical story. Yeah, and all of her thoughts on DID and how um, a patient could one could have diabetes, one of their personalities, and the other one couldn't. So what if one thought they were stronger than the others, you know, setting all this stuff up that he sets up really nicely. But I think outside of the, if this movie was just alone by itself, I don't think it would be as good. Yeah. All of these things just are so out there. And when you watch it after knowing it's unbreakable, it seems so much more believable and, and it's so much more investing because, you know, she goes over to her neighbor's house and she's talking about her patients and her neighbor is kind of saying like, oh, I would that's I don't believe that that is real. And she's saying, well, what if what if these people who experience these things are more than us? And when you watch it the first time, you're kind of like hammy much. You watch yeah, it this time yeah. and you're like, she's setting up heroes. Yeah. <laughs> and you just go, this is cool. Right. So all of that stuff is wouldn't it be really crazy? cool on a second and third viewing. Yeah, wouldn't it be crazy if in this movie, like, okay, let's just for fun think that this is taking place at the same time as Unbreakable. Yeah. 
and she's his psych uh, Dennis Kevin psychiatrist and she has this thesis like maybe there's something supernatural going on here because they're accessing basically the full capacity of a human brain which we only access like 10 percent of it at and, a time okay at a time but she this for some reason because no one's really believing her she ends up at a comic book store or, or she goes <laughs> she meets she's Elijah. a little upper class so maybe she ends up at limited edition <laughs> yeah and she starts talking to Mr. Glass about all of this. Well, maybe because if you remember his original script of Unbreakable slash idea yes. was that the movie Unbreakable was act one and act two would be setting up Kevin. Yes. So maybe that would have been what would have been that movie. Pretty interesting. Yeah. She's just she's just so like one step away from entering a comic book store with what she's talking she about. Yeah. And maybe one of the reasons he does that is to hide the twist. Oh, absolutely. Maybe that's why absolutely. he doesn't want to do something like that. Yeah. Um, so then Patricia walks in to see the girls. And this is one of Kevin's personalities. And she's a British prim and proper woman. Mm -hmm. And she's surprised that there are three girls there. Yeah. And the girls are very confused. Mm -hmm. They do some great acting because it's, I mean, how scary and confusing would that be? So that's the moment they find out that he has DID. They're 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 him. not sure because when well, Hedwig comes in a little later, they're like, "What? This is confusing enough." No, but, but I know. But don't you think like if you were held hostage by a a man who kidnapped you, yeah. and then he comes to you as a different personality, and then again as another personality, wouldn't it be like, "Oh my gosh, what and was going to happen?" To yeah, me definitely. because of this this of this thing. Definitely. But yeah. But it, I like how they set that up, too, because you're hearing these voices, mm -hmm. and they're like, help us, help us, because they're hearing a woman's British yeah. voice, and then he walks in. Yeah. And then pretty soon we have Hedwig, which provides the comic relief of the movie. Yeah. And Great this, acting. This, yeah, this is one of those things where it's overlooked, but it's kind of a miracle that you can watch this movie, still be scared and freaked out, and the actor is also doing this an imitation mm -hmm. of a nine-year-old boy who kind of has a crush on one of the girls mm -hmm. with a lisp that's kind of a miracle i mean i mean james mcavoy's performance in this is really insane it is it is it is like no not everyone could have done this no i don't think so not by any stretch of the imagination no and uh, i mean since he is a super villain we could compare him to other supervillains, and I'd probably put him in my top 10 that's been portrayed on film. Sure. Me too. Right up there with Otto Octavius and Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin. Would it be Alfred Molina? Is he the only iteration of that? Of yeah. Octavius? Okay. Supposedly signed on to be in Spider-Man No Way Home. We'll find out this December unless they move the release date, which I'm sure they will. Um... She tells them, Patricia, that the beast is coming for them. And she says, like you said, that Dennis followed two girls. Yeah. Which I think really comes together when you find out, like, he would have been stalking them and understanding that they have an easy life. Because if he'd been following well, Anya... I think they're the girls who did the thing to him. That's right. They are. Yeah. That's why... That's his motive for this which like what's right. interesting about that is i feel like for a lot of the movie you're hearing stuff about this horde this beast thing but then you find out that like these girls 
did something really mean to him and you're like oh this whole beast thing is just him coping with it's giving him the motivation and justifying why he needs to punish these girls there's no beast yeah it's just as like this is justifying his actions yeah yeah so it even further is like okay so there is no supernatural stuff in this movie yeah yeah and it is crazy because you find out he's in a zoo and that's another payoff because you're just seeing like bars everywhere. And as you go, it's like there's lockers. What is this place? And then when you find out it's a zoo, you go, oh, okay. Right. And it's the beast that lives in a zoo. That's fun. That's right. also very comic booky. Um. So another thing they do around the scene is um, the girls are trying to break out and they find that there's like a... Um, a vent above them and so they're breaking all this plaster on the walls Mm -hmm. and Hedwig is trying to come in and stop them Mm -hmm. but he's not strong enough to push the door open and then Dennis takes the light and he pushes it open like no problem Mm -hmm. and right I mean that's just great visual these characters these are different personalities and And they have different strengths because like Going forward at one point when um, Fletcher is giving her symposium speech at this Which is the next scene. That's great. Yeah. She is talking about a patient who is blind, but because of her, uh, because of DID, three of her personalities developed sight. Like her eyes regenerated, whatever that is. (laughs) Like and she optical nerves. Three of the people. So it's like genetic Sorry, the, the, these personalities. What what did she say? She just said it so well. I don't know, but like well, well, the genetic makeup changes for each personality. Yeah, and she's also saying like maybe this is what we consider the supernatural. Yes. So again, kind of bringing it into a real world context for us. Yes. Um, You'll get me with that every time. We're also gonna have around this scene. You know, she's suspicious that Barry, who keeps visiting her. Man, if someone hasn't seen this movie and they're listening, they got to be like, how many characters are in this? And very confused. But yeah. um, Barry keeps visiting her. She's suspicious that it's Dennis really pretending he's Barry. Or it's them sharing it. And um, around this time, let me look at my notes again. I was in the, Oh, this is when we have M. Night's cameo. Okay. And he's, so this is when Barry just left her office the second time. Yeah. And and what I wanted to talk about this, and and I think you're gonna like heartily disagree with me on this, but the one like knock against M Night's writing I have is there are sometimes, and like this scene is one of them. So he has I these. I think I know what you're gonna say. Okay, he 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 has these buffalo wings from um, Hooters. Hooters, and the psychiatrist does this like jokey um, speech thing where she said, "What are these?" Um, you know, cholesterol-inducing nuclear things you put but in a microwave. She says it in, in such a smarmy, yeah, high-class way, yeah. Th- th- that are a pale imitation of meat or something like mm-hmm. that. And he's like, they're chicken wings. And he, he does have a tendency to try to do like this um, jokey, intelligent, almost Quentin Tarantino monologue humor in his movies. This is not what I thought you were going to say. And I just think that it it usually doesn't work. Okay. It, it is kind of a funny scene, but you're kind of like, oh, brother, dude. Like, we get it. You grabbed a thesaurus so you could write this scene. I do disagree with you. 
I liked it. What I thought you were going to say is during this scene, so what he is the security officer or security guard for this apartment building. Uh-huh. So he has all of the surveillance footage and she wants to see what just happened in front of the building because her patient just left and there's trash on the ground and he yeah. walks right through it, which she's suspecting this is Dennis the whole time. And she knows that Dennis experiences OCD walks right through it. So it can't be Dennis, but she's still not sure. Well, she's saying because he walked right through it, a normal person would walk through it. So if it's if it is this character who has OCD and he's pretending like he uh-huh. is some like it's kind of a convoluted way of saying because he walked through it, it doesn't make sense that he is Barry. Sure, that's what she. What saying. I thought. What I don't uh, appreciate in movies is when that happens. M Night his character says, Oh, he walked right through it. Any other normal person would have just walked around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, we, we know we get it. Yeah. This movie, we're a little bit smarter than that, but I mean, that happens sometimes in movies. It's just always just kind of cringy yeah. for me. But uh, yeah, I just, I just wanted to point that out. I think it's all kind of cute a little bit like that. He tries to flex his like, I can do. Oh, cause she's the psychiatrist. Goofy like, really monologue <laughs> things, but they usually don't work. And I remember, I think that's like my one complaint about glasses. I feel like there's a lot of characters who kind of have like jokey stuff or things that just feel like he's a little out of touch with what this kind of person would really talk like, you know? Well, who in Unbreakable? No, uh, Glass, sorry. Oh, glass. glass. Oh, I don't quite remember because I feel like in Unbreakable, all the extras are really great. Yeah. Um, I, if I'm remembering right, I feel like Joseph, like a lot of his dialogues, a little like, okay, we get it. I roll. Oh, I like, just don't remember that. And I feel like the, the old lady, uh, the, the, uh, her, her name, Fletcher's neighbor who's watching wheel of fortune. She's perfect. Yeah, I love yeah. her character. But sometimes, yeah, he just tries to put in these touches and they don't necessarily work, but it doesn't ruin the movie by any means. No, you I know? think it makes it endearing. Really? Yeah. Because even if it's a little irritating, that's what's a little endearing about it. Yeah. But yeah, she says something about like, um, uh, I know Hooters is, is like if Henry V owned a fast food chain and they're like, that's funny, but that's leave that in a Tarantino movie. Don't bring it in a split. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the girls are eating, but they are taken to the kitchen, uh, by Patricia. And earlier in the movie, um, I think it was during the symposium presentation, someone asked Fletcher, can two personalities share the spotlight at one time? Yeah. And she said, yes. And we are uh, shown that in the scene. So she's making, she's made the girls sandwiches. They're eating at the table. Patricia's talking about lions. And then she has a little fit because she doesn't cut the, the sandwich straight enough to which. So, so that just means that proves that Dennis and Patricia are sharing the spotlight. Yeah. I like Which that. I have never caught until Me you mentioned neither. it. I, at first I was like, oh, it is Dennis the whole time besides Hedwig, but uh, like the whole time. But it's like, no, we just like literally, I think in the last scene we're talking about the two and one. So, yeah. And so then, um, Marsha attempts an escape and fails at her escape and is put in a separate room. So they're all in three separate rooms, which is no good if you're trying to survive. <laughs> yeah. And then Hedwig visits, um, uh, Casey mm-hmm. almost said Clarice. That's a different series. <laughs> uh, similar vibes. Um, and she, he says something about how he likes to dance. And he likes Kanye. Likes Kanye. That's his main man. And he, he ha- likes the window above a CD player. 
or he has a window above a CD player. Mm. And she goes, can you show it to me? Eventually, he shows it. He dances. Another scene that's like, I mean, you got to really nail this as like everybody on board or else your people are leaving the theater laughing it, at you. Anya is, her acting is con- just so consistently she, Well, she ties it together. Incredible, yeah. And this scene when he's doing that, she is just crying. Like, or, you know, holding back tears because she is full on panicking. Uh-huh. Because she's looking around the room and she's like, where is the window? I don't care about him dancing. Where is the window? There is no window. It's a drawing. a window. And so she's freaking, freaking out. But she's trying not to because she doesn't want Hedwig to change because maybe she can... She's trying to get him to run away with her, you yeah. know? Yeah. She's being... She continues to be very smart, even though she's <laughs> panicking. And Hedwig shows her this walkie-talkie yeah, radio yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 And at first she thinks it's a toy. It's not. It's real. And she starts talking to whoever is out there, says her name, says she's being held hostage with two other girls please find help. If you're listening to this, you must be close. And it's this guy on the other end who thinks that she is pranking him. And so I, yeah. what I think is awesome about this is it's another thing where when you watch it a second time, it makes more sense. Yes. Because I don't know. I feel like if I got that message, I would at least follow it up with like calling the police or something. Well, no, because I think what it shows is what, what you are supposed to feel as a viewer is there is no hope. Yes, but I think when I watched it, I'm going I'm going like, oh, this is that trope in movies where someone calls for help and the person doesn't help them because they think it's a prank. And I don't necessarily like that. Okay. What I think works about it when you watch it a second time is so the last thing he says to her is how do you, how are you on this line? And that's the key oh, for me yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes it work because you find out they're at a zoo and this is a self-contained walkie-talkie. Yeah. So it does make sense that he's getting this walkie-talkie, probably in the middle of the night or something, as a security guard of the zoo, being like, who is pranking me? It's one of, like, five co-workers that I have. Okay. So th- that is like, oh, he took that trope I don't necessarily like unless it's done perfectly, and he fixed it. But when the first time I'm watching it, I'm like, come on. Like, call the police. You know, it, it feels like a running up the stairs moment, but it's not. Well, what's so interesting about that, like it, it, it always makes me wonder. Like, would I call the police? Yeah. If I got something like that over a radio at my work or something like that, you know, like, would I? And I think you would. I would like to think that I would. I think most people would because it's so it's so crazy. But because you know it's- how many times though people get prank calls and they're not prank calls, someone is dying. That happens. That yeah. happens. I, I don't know. I'm I'm just saying I, it's a trope that I don't necessarily like, but I think the movie pulls it off because it's a self-contained walkie-talkie. Okay. Like if she was just on a line. Agree to disagree. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm um, kidding. But then now we're, we're plugging right along, just as the movie does. Dr. Fletcher goes to Kevin's house, which is at the zoo. Because Barry has emailed her like a million times. Yeah. And... Again, you're seeing like bars outside of the house, and it's like, what is this place? Because you don't know it's a zoo yet. And I, I, it, the, the zoo, I feel like it can't be overstated how cool the idea is that he lives in a zoo. Because I'm just thinking he owns a mansion or something like that. Like I'm expecting it to pan out, and it's yeah. basically the psycho house or something. Yeah. Um, but it's not. And so she's there, and she's yeah. trying to just figure out what's going on. She knows something is wrong. She eventually. Well, what is she thinking when she shows up at the zoo? I think she knows he lives there. Okay. 
But how is that okay? How is that allowed? I don't know. And that's like, what something lies I he don't told wanna... her to, to, to potentially make her think that a person just lives at the zoo. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's not like a nitpick thing. Not, I don't have no. an issue with it. I'm just purely curious why well, someone doesn't question that. I think you could also maybe assume that maybe one of the emails said that that's where they live. True. And she's just, because tr- the whole time she's like, wow, you have this really interesting philosophy about the beast. That's interesting. She knows that these are inherently bad things. True. But she's like, I can't let this guy snap because this could be really yeah, she's, dangerous. She is suspecting that he's going to potentially become violent. So maybe she's just like, yeah, you live at the zoo. Yeah, that's normal and fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and then she discovers one of the girls and she does her best to confront Kevin and say this is wrong, you know this is wrong, and he says I'm sorry you feel that way. What sucks about it too is right before she discovers Claire, she is talking to Dennis. And remember, she just met Dennis. Yeah. Like a couple scenes ago. And because she right, fi- right. she called him on it. Like, this is Dennis. And he conceded, it's me, Dennis. And when she's talking to him at his place, they are talking about the beast. And he, he, you know, she really truly convinces him because she genuinely means it that she is fighting for him and she wants to believe him. And he yeah. really takes her at her word. And you're like, cool. Now just play it cool, lady. Yeah. And she still is very suspicious <laughs> yeah. because she puts her handkerchief in a door jam. Yeah, why did she do that? I didn't in, figure In case that out. she needed to get out and she couldn't. You know, I think it was just security. Maybe that's the door they entered from and she was afraid he would lock her in because she's still suspicious of him. Well, what what is the what does that do? I don't well, I just don't understand why she Okay. Got it. That's why Casey was able to get out cuz the handkerchief was in there cuz it. it was it never closed all the way. I just so, didn't get the mechanics of that oh okay um simple as that (laughs) yeah so yeah finds claire bad for her bad for fletcher (laughs) (laughs) um the the beast comes out pretty much yeah and kills her she uh snaps basically breaks her back snaps her in half and the effects are cool really cool they're cool he looks cool and it it's like just in the realm of uh you're buying it yeah. But I will say the first time I watched it, I was kind of like, what? I know. I'm like, so he's just shirtless now is how it felt. Well, and, and in that scene where he crawls on the wall, I'm like, what is this movie? And, you know. Oh, I was so in, though. Like, I did think, like, this is crazy. Is this supernatural the whole time? Like, I'm on for the I'm on for the whole ride. That's how I felt. But I do understand anyone who's like. Okay, I'm done with this movie. Well, I think I was thinking, okay, everyone said this movie was really good, and I was going, oh, okay, so my take is I'm going to like Acts 1 and 2 of this movie. Okay. When he starts crawling okay. over the wall. Of course, now I love it. Uh-huh. I love all of that stuff, but I I think, I think, and especially because he kind of lost, M. Night lost everyone's uh, faith in him, so it's kind of a risky move because you're like, oh, dude, you almost got my trust back. And then yeah. he kind of takes it away, and then in the last minute, you're like, and we're back. <laughs> yeah. You did it. But, um, yeah, so there's there's all of this craziness that's going on. He kills Dr. Fletcher. Um, While all this is happening, um, Casey is successfully got out of the first room with a nail that she found. She picked the lock, and now yeah. she's trying to get the other door. 
Meanwhile, she has access to his computer and that's is right, seeing that's right. videos of other, per- like video blogs of other personalities, um, which ends on Barry. Um, and she sees where he kept, put his hat and grabbed the keys. Yeah. Which is where cool she touch, finds Cool them. touch. Very great. So she makes it out and she is trying, she, it's still like, she doesn't know where she is and she doesn't know how to get out of here. She ends up in the room where Fletcher is, finds Fletcher dead. Leading up to that, actually, see, she sees Marsha and Claire dead. Yeah. And Marsha's been partially eaten mm-hmm. and Claire is in the process of being eaten. Yeah. Very great horror fun very scary so yeah i wanted to mention something you pointed out that was one of the coolest things about this rewatch is when kevin or the beast grab no 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 i think it's dennis at this point he grabs dr fletcher before he kills her and carries her to the couch it is like the opposite scene of when david dunn is carrying his wife up the stairs Mm -hmm. so it's like David Dunn, when he does that, he has become a hero. And then in this moment... He's become a full-on villain. He became a villain. That's like the moment. And it's like that poetic line of it all. Very, very very cool. Very cool. Um, Yeah, so... Yeah, that's just so interesting to think about, too, because when David Dunn carries his wife... You know, when you carry someone like that, it's a very vulnerable state. Mm-hmm. and he carries his wife you know he is her husband again you know yeah. some stuff like that he is a hero he is he is like actualized himself and kevin or the beast has is the the only reason he was able to carry her is because he knocked her out mm-hmm. like his his reasons for doing so are bad yeah great just great so um and i i, I think while the girls are all trying to escape this is when I, oh, yeah, it's a little before this, actually. Kevin goes to a train station. Yeah. Like, the main train station, Philadelphia, buys some flowers, and he sets them by the train, and you're sitting there, and you're going, no way, because we find out in Glass, Mr. Glass opens up his file and finds out that Kevin's father was killed on the East Rail 177. In this movie, we do know that his dad died on a train. We do. We do. But and I think further- astute viewers caught that. I, did I doubt not. anyone caught it on the first try. Obviously, no one knew first time yeah. that this was a connection. But yeah, I, it is also worth noting that um, Kevin is the true identity. Yeah, of Kevin Wendell Crumb. Uh, so his father died when he was young, leaving him with his mother. His mother abused him terribly his whole life and he created personalities were created as a defense mechanism dennis being the first one created that's yeah. something that fletcher realizes when she meets him at his place right because dennis likes order that's uh-huh. what he thrives on and that's and he says that's what you had to do when i was with my mom everything had to be perfect so that's when dennis was created mm-hmm. and all the other characters you know, for their own reasons, for their own defense mechanisms, they've all been, they all protect Kevin. Yeah. So, um, Casey's trying to find a way out. She sees scrawled and on a piece of paper, say his name, Kevin Wendell crumb. So he comes in as the beast and she says his name and he snaps out of it. But again, I, I I know we'll talk about it more in glass. I just want to say how cool it is that Kevin's dad was in the same train mm-hmm. as David Dunn and Mr. Glass created both hero and villain. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. Very cool. 
it can't be overstated how cool that it is. It is like one of those fun things too to think about. So like like Kevin's character, he was his superpower was it's almost as if it was just it would always lie dormant inside him. Mm-hmm. And it was probably more likely than not that he would go through life and it would never be awakened. Yeah. It was a, a moment of tra- tragedy that awakened his supernatural part. And it's like how many people in the world have that supernatural gene lying dormant inside them and remember that's the question glass asks in its final minute of the movie yeah pretty cool i can't quite remember how that movie ends and i'm like pretty cool just i I like remember this one last scene and i'm like i really hope it's not that because that's a huge bummer so the last scene of that movie is in the train station and it's the three it's elijah's mom that's Joseph right that's right that's right and oh, Anya i just got genuinely a wave of relief what did you think was the last scene well when sarah paulson goes into that restaurant oh and we find out about the secret coalition and, and she does her whole monologue about yeah. how it was all taken care of and i don't remember anything after that oh and which you're would just be like really yeah it, would, it wouldn't wrap up character development and stuff also it would just be bad guy wins yeah yeah anyway um pretty cool can't wait to watch that movie maybe tonight maybe tomorrow night i don't know um hey tad is screaming that's our cat um so then uh there's the jaws shot of him on the train where it's pulling the focus or i mean the zoom while it's dollying in on him as he's turning into the beast okay now he's trying to kill anya taylor joy chasing her around right but she calls kevin he snaps out of the beast uh, he tells her where the shotgun is, where the bullets are, and he asks her to kill him because oh, yeah. he's yeah. like, what have I done? She said something horrible. And he's like, okay, he's thinking like, I've killed people. I killed this woman. I know that for sure. Yeah. Um, so I need, you just need to kill me. Um, but the other personalities are protecting him, you know? So yeah. they're, they're all coming back, which ends up with the beast coming back out again. And she has the gun. She finds the bullets. She's running out of this place wherever she can, gets to a dead end where there's this barred cell. And it is like, where is she? Yeah, it's she so confusing. She's in an actual dungeon. Yeah. But like people work here because there are lockers. Yeah. I think when I first saw it, it's like it had to have been some abandoned warehouse where people used to yeah. work there. I think for me, I was just like, I'm just but like this is just a fantastic i didn't think that there would be an explanation i thought it would just be like this is his lair you know yeah it's just creepy it's a basement yeah so um yeah, but she, it's much more than that yeah she almost gets you know she gets hurt by him he is doing his own bad guy monologue about how the um impure need to be feasted on eradicated so that you know the pure is the next level of evolution we are here pulling the bars open yeah that shot is so scary yeah and yeah at this point he sees that she's scars all over her and she is pure that's what he says yeah you are pure rejoice yeah and he runs away yeah and it's it's kind of like that's an odd ending like the bad guy just ran away uh-huh. and then this it's like we just found out he's got superpowers <laughs> yeah come back please well, and, and I think there's a little part of me the first time, even though I knew it was related to Unbreakable, it's like at this point, I'm like, I don't know how this has anything to do with Unbreakable, whatever. Uh-huh. And and I'm kind of like, again, this is the first time. I love all this stuff now, but I'm kind of going, what? So they're setting up a sequel to this psychological thriller? Like, what are you talking yeah. about? And then he runs off, and then... um 
we have like well, the zookeeper comes down. Well, I just want to say first, I could see a world if this wasn't an unbreakable thing. Like let's see, I'm viewing it for the first time again. I could see a world where there is no sequel. Like this is just a standalone thriller because it is revealed throughout the movie that he has a lot of trauma. It's almost like a, he is a bad guy and I understand why kind of thing. Yeah. And he's going to go out and I guess do his thing. That's yeah. how it kind of felt to me. But anyway, yeah, so this zookeeper comes down. He's wearing green, mm-hmm. and he he pulls her out of the cage, and and then uh, she she's gonna be okay, but she's gonna go home with her uncle. So her uncle's her legal guardian. Yeah. So they say that her uncle's here. She's sitting in a police car, and she just gives this look that breaks my heart. And yeah. the police officer is pretty much she sees that look and is like, "Okay, we have a situation here. Like she's not going home." With yeah. her uncle. That, that's very, I would say, very implied. Well, what's that cool is in Glass, she says that she did tell the police. And I do, and I think because of what she went through, she now has the courage. Yeah. I don't know. If, is courage the right word? I don't know. But, like, she she now tells someone about what's happening. Yeah. And and uh, that's part of how her and Kevin... Uh, Are connected. Connect and, and stuff in the next movie. Yeah. But, um, so then... We cut back to the horde, the beast, and he's looking in all these mirrors, these glass mirrors, and he's talking to himself and all these, his different personalities are talking, and the music's starting to change. It's like twinkling on this piano, and then it starts playing this theme that keen listeners will go, that sounds really familiar, and then the drums kick in from Unbreakable, and the theme from Unbreakable breaks in, and it cuts to a At cafe. At the first time you saw this, did you remember the theme of Unbreakable? No. Okay, no. me neither. Um, but I would imagine if you'd seen Unbreakable like three or four times, you'd be like so versed oh, in this totally. theme because it's pretty iconic. Yes, it so is. you just hear the and and it feels kind of triumphant almost, and you're like, what? And then it cuts to the cafe. And it's on the news and it's talking about this character who people are already calling the Horde, who mm-hmm. has escaped. And that lady, this lady says, oh, it's a weird name. It's like that guy that they, the news gave a weird name a couple years ago. What was that guy's name? And then the camera goes down the line and you see that Bruce Willis is sitting behind the woman. And, he and says, he's wearing security outfit. Uh-huh. And he says, Mr. Glass. And then and it we're fist pumping the air. It cuts. Yeah. And you actually... um. Remember, he, it, it actually shows the beast mirror scene. The drums come in and it says split. Yeah. As like a title card. And then it cuts to the cafe, which is even yes. cooler because yes. I feel like if you are familiar, you're going, the drums just kicked in. What is going on? Or it just like, says split. Like what? Yeah, I'm curious at, you know, in this split <laughs> second moment of time for someone where they're like, they do recognize it as Unbreakable and they do recognize this as the same director. Yeah. They're like... Did, did he just rip off his own theme like crazy right now? Yeah. yeah. There's probably a split second of someone or people are whoever they went to they're the like, movie oh, with. I they're guess just it's gripping, connected, but I don't they're know. They're gripping the handlebars. <laughs> so like white knuckling the handle. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and um, any viewer who really enjoys or any listener rather who enjoys this series, um, I would really recommend listening to Blank Check's episode on Split. Um, mm-hmm. which is a podcast I love, but their episode on Split, um, the one of the guys, David, he's a film critic, and he talks about, I think he was at the first screening, and he talks about how no one knew about it and how he was really familiar with that stuff, and when the drums kicked in, he's like, 
what is happening? Mm-hmm. And it's a great episode. And it's one of my favorites the of the movie show. At that point, right? Like he he was yeah. sounded like he was pretty unsure the whole time. Well, he he had a great thing on Letterbox where he said this movie completely lost me and then completely brought me back in the final minute of the movie. Yeah. And said something like M Knight's back baby or yeah. something or Patrick might have said that. Anyway, um but I would recommend listening to that too yeah. if you liked it. But don't listen to their glass episode until you've heard our glass episode. Yeah. Um Oh, what a ride. <sighs> it's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice tight thriller. Yes, it we is. love a good tight. Very thriller. streamlined. There's mm-hmm. a lot. They they covered a lot of things, but <laughs> yeah, they have to get through. It a is lot. streamlined. But um, yeah, I love it. Um, this month on Patreon.com/slash Micah McCaw, you gotta head over there to listen to our 2021 Oscar predictions and maybe things we would have nominated. I I don't know exactly. We haven't recorded it yet. We still got two movies to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so go check that out for as little as three dollars. A month, get your extra episode, please. Come on. And if we get to 50 listeners, we're going to cover every single Pixar movie and do a spin off podcast called MPU Goes 50 to patrons. 50 Patrons. Uh, we're going to do 50, I mean, MPU Goes to Emeryville and cover all the Pixar movies, even those that don't have sequels. So come on, baby, get on it. Um, and also, have fun out there, frankly. <laughs> Yeah. Have fun. But not too much fun. Wear that mask. Stay safe. <laughs> and uh, next week, we're covering Glass, and then we're going to jump right back into Batman Yep. with Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins. So you got you got a slate, but we're giving you a lot of fun movies to watch, frankly, this year. You're this year's been welcome. fun movies. 2021, we made the New Year's resolution. No more bad movies. Although we have covered I know. <laughs> uh, Hannibal Rising, yeah. Dead Man's Chest, and On Stranger Tides, which are unequivocally horrible. Yeah. And Red Dragon. I'm going to put that in there. Sure. But it's watchable. Bye. Bye. <laughs>